most of you know Dave. I think that's why many of you are here. He's known him for uh, quite some time. David, David is actually one of the founding you know, families that came to plant this church 20, almost one years ago now. Uh, moved here from Orlando. Uh, changed up, turned his whole life upside down, really, to come here and be a part of planting this church. And has been here and been a part of serving in this church the whole time. So, yeah, you're going to be learning from Second Peter. You're going to be hearing from the Bible. You're going to be learning. But you're also going to be hearing from the heart of somebody who's walked this out, lived this out um, over a long period of years. Uh, you see it in his family, his home, his, his wife and kids, um, just living out the things that he's talking about. And uh, so, personally, I just I couldn't be more thrilled to have you hear from somebody than I am have you hear from Dave. So, praise God. Thank you for. And I know this is. He works a full-time job that's full-time plus, got a family, and, and then preparing this over the last couple of months to be ready to do this. So very much appreciate the labor that he put in. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Ron. Oh, uh, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ron was actually 26 when that was. So I, that tells you anything. So it was a little while ago, but... Um, Anyway, well, thank you uh, for coming out tonight and uh, looking forward to uh, just sharing this time with you and seeing, seeing what happens. So um, would you join me in praying? I feel very, very needful of the Lord tonight. <clears throat> well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could gather here tonight. Lord, even the fact that we're here and the provision that's represented and the people that, that have served, Lord, to, to get t- tonight ready. Uh, we just thank you, Lord, for blessing us in so many ways. So even the rich teaching and the, the fellowship and the worship we experienced earlier today, God, you are good. And Lord, I just, uh, we just dedicate this time to you, Lord. Um, uh, I've prepared and I've studied, but Lord, I'm keenly aware that uh, for this time to serve these good folks tonight, uh, I need your spirit to illuminate and anoint and guide and help. So, Holy Spirit, please help me to uh, communicate clearly and uh, help us to to really connect with the truth of your word tonight. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, imagine my excitement a couple of years, not a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, <clears throat> kind of working through preparations on uh, Second Peter, and I, I was getting, uh, I was talking to Darren, and he was uh, talking about the excitement he had in, in preparing a message on Second Peter. So I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> You're going to teach on Second Peter? Yeah. So actually, how many people heard, just so I have a sense, how many people heard Darren's message on Second Peter? All right. So um, this will also be a message on Second Peter. Um, but it'll be different because I'm getting it. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but I don't know about you, but, you know, it's amazing as you as you approach God's word and as you study so often, I mean, there's passages that you can read over and over again. And, and it seems like each time you come back to them, there's something new. There's something, there's a reminder or there's, a, there's an aspect that maybe you didn't see the first time. So uh, that's what I'm counting on. That's what I'm trusting in. And, uh, you know, as I approached this, I really thought, okay, Second Peter, it's a short, book. It's three chapters, so this should be pretty easy. So, you know, one chapter each week, each session. Uh, so that's that's pretty straightforward. However, I only got through the first four verses in my preparation <laughs> for tonight. So so this may be a, th- a three-part series on Second Peter 1. I mean, I, <laughs> we'll see what happens. I, I'm not completely sure. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things that as I studied, you know, there was just so much there. There was so much truth and, and so much rich encouragement. I just, I couldn't rush through it. You know, it's almost like you get a piece of cheesecake or something. And it's just so rich and it's so, there's so much there. You don't want to just 
you know, eat it too fast. You want to enjoy it and savor it. So I trust there's an aspect of that. Um, would you open your Bibles to Second Peter uh, chapter 1? We'll read this in a minute, but by way of introduction, I want, want to talk for a few minutes about Peter. And, you know, Peter, the Apostle Peter, pretty famous guy, but, you know, I tend to think, I, I know me and, and perhaps others of you, when you think about Peter, you tend to think about his failures. Um, they're just so vivid and they're so dramatic that they tend to stick with you. You know, there's, uh, he goes to walk on the water, almost drowns. You know, he goes fishing with Jesus and he doubts, you know, really who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. Um, he rebukes Jesus and Jesus calls him Satan. So that's, that's kind of, that's a bad time, you know, when the Lord is calling you Satan. That's not a nickname I would, you know, I, I I give people nicknames all the time. They don't, they don't invite that, but I've never given anybody the nickname Satan. But this is, this is Peter. You know, he, he's at the transfiguration. He's on the mountain with Jesus. He's seeing Jesus, uh, you know, displayed in all his glory. And he thinks now's a good time to recommend a self-improvement project. Hey, Jesus, I know I could build, you know, a shelter, maybe that's, you know, the Bible even says he didn't know what he was saying. He's just like, um, so this is Peter. You know, he's often bold and impetuous. He seems brave. He's lopping off the ears of uh, slaves at one time. Or, and there's other time where, you know, a little servant girl says, hey, aren't you with Jesus? Oh, no. You know, so he's, he's frightened off by the servant girls asking questions. So it seems like everybody loves Paul, you know. You know, hey, I love me some Paul. You know, there's, you know, Pauline, there's, you know, the theology and there's, you know, he's, he's seen the Lord. Uh, he's, you know, had miracles happen and, and so I think that's understandable, but, you know, why you gotta hate on Paul? Or why you gotta hate on Peter? Oh, excuse me. I mean, uh, he's not just the guy that shoots first and asks questions later. Uh, he's not just the guy who wilts in the midst of trouble. Um, I think sometimes, I know for me, he, maybe he makes me uncomfortable because he's sort of like me. You know, he has good days and bad days. He's got days where, man, there's victory and, and accomplishment. And I've got days where, man, it's, it's a failure. It's, it's a disaster. Um, but I think it's important that we give him a second chance. Because um, you know who loved Peter? Uh, Jesus. Jesus loved Peter. I mean, Jesus called Peter uh, to follow him. He called Peter to be one of his disciples. He called Peter uh, not just to be among the 12, but he's one of the, the three closest, those dearest to Jesus. Uh, you know, perhaps he was the closest friend of all. So I think it's possible that Peter could have something to say to us today. Amen? Um, he's He's... An apostle, but you know, he's much maligned. He's, he's got a bad rap sometimes. But, um, I think if we study this book, we'll get a fresh ap- uh, appreciation of Peter, but more importantly, we'll get a fresh, uh, appreciation for the Lord who Peter served. So, let's, uh, start by reading in Second Peter chapter one. If you'll read along with me. Does everybody have, uh, a handout? Uh, I think. Looks like everybody does, so good. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
So from the very beginning of the letter, we see it's addressed. It's by Simon Peter. Um, we don't know for sure where it was written from. We're not really sure who it was addressed to. Um, First Peter uh, was written to a particular group of believers in, in what is now modern-day Turkey. Um, Second Peter doesn't really specify its recipients. It seems to have been written later in Peter's life. Uh, matter of fact, um, the book, in a lot of ways, could almost be seen as sort of his last will and testament. Um, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 15, he says, I will see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So he has a sense that his time in this life is coming to a close, and he wants to communicate to a group of believers. And that's the letter that we have, and that we're going to examine. So I think it's uh, there's some value in reminding ourselves some things about Peter and his life and his ministry as we view this letter. So we talked about, um, or actually we haven't talked about this yet, but he's a, he's a fisherman from Galilee. He worked along with his brother Andrew. He had two partners, James and John. And James and John worked a boat with their father Zebedee. So Simon Peter could be impetuous. He could be hot-headed. And so could his partners. You think about James and John, they had a nickname too. They were the sons of thunder or the sons of tumult. So, you know, if it's tumultuous, if it's thunderous, there's James and John. We know about Peter. So this must have been a, an odd, you know, fishing partnership. I mean, there's some hot-headed dudes. But uh, oddly enough, Jesus uh, chooses uh, this entire group of four partners, fishing partners, to be a part of his 12, um, which is unusual. You think about uh, a third of the 12 apostles are from this fishing partnership of Andrew, Peter, James, and John. So um, part of the reason I think it's a, a value to talk about Peter and to think about Peter and, and just be reminded about his life is as we'll talk about in a few minutes, he talks about uh, the fact that we have a faith as precious as his, or as ours, he's talking about. So to a degree, I'm thinking, okay, if somebody's telling me that that my faith, that our faith is as precious as his, I want to know, well, why, what, what is it about his faith? You know, tell me a little bit about him and his background and, and why uh, faith is precious. So... Anyway, so we've mentioned some of the failings and the folly of Peter during his uh, time with Jesus. But it's important to note that that's not the end of the story. Uh, the life of Peter doesn't stop with the Gospels. Uh, when you look in the book of Acts, the first I don't know, eight or nine chapters, Simon Peter is really center stage. We see the Gospel going forth. We see the early church advancing and and uh, the fame of Jesus is growing and growing. Peter's right in the midst of it. Um, he preached powerfully on the day of Pentecost. He healed a lame beggar at the temple gate. He spoke courageously when Jewish leaders are threatening uh, the first church. Ananias and Sapphira died at his feet. Um, King Herod arrests his former partners, James and John, his fellow apostles, and has them killed. He sees that, that that seems to please the Jewish leaders, so he seizes Peter. Uh, but Peter is um, released. He is set free from prison by an angel. So this is Peter. This is the guy who's writing this letter. Um, so again, his story didn't end with the Gospels. Uh, didn't end with just examples of his mistakes and his faithlessness, he goes on to be a, a champion for the faith. He's a, a pillar in the church. Um, so this is Simon Peter. So in looking at your, uh, if you're following along also with your uh, handout, we'll talk about uh, the great messenger. So uh, in first, excuse me, second Peter chapter one says that Simon Peter is a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So 
as I look at this uh, introduction, he's talking about his credentials. And as I read this initially, I was reminded of, of a picture. I don't know how many of you have either been in or, or seen pictures of the inside of some of these old cathedrals. You know, the big ancient cathedrals in Europe and, you know, maybe some of the, the bigger cities in the United States. But if you are in one of these great cathedrals and you're, you know, in one of the pews with the rest of the congregation, you look forward at, uh, towards the altar or to where the, the minister is, is preaching from. A lot of times to the, I think it's generally to the right, there's an elevated pulpit. And, uh, very often, and especially the old churches, they're, uh, they may be like 10 or 12 feet high. There's this sort of ornate, uh, richly detailed circular staircase that, that goes up to it. So in the midst of the, uh, the message or the, the mass or the sermon, whatever it is, you know, the, the pastor will go over to the staircase and, and kind of rise up to the to this elevated pulpit. And, you know, from that elevated pulpit, you know, there's various reasons why they probably did it. Um, but there's a sense that, you know, everybody can see. There's a sense of it's it's a elevated, it's higher, it's, it's a, a place of authority. This is where the, the scripture often is read from. And I, I see as uh, Simon Peter is identifying himself as the uh, servant of the Lord, an apostle of Jesus Christ, in a way... To me, it's like he's he's ascending. He wants to get everybody's attention. He wants to make sure that everybody recognizes that he's got some authority. He has a reason to be recognized and heard. Now, certainly, when you see the, the passage in there where it talks about he's a servant, there are some commentators will say, well, you know, Simon Peter's being... Uh, he's being pretty humble. He's calling himself, at first off, a servant. But... Um, I think throughout Scripture, you very often see somebody designated as a servant of the Lord, especially in the Old Testament. Um, in Numbers, uh, it talks, God talks about my servant Moses. And uh, throughout um, passages in Isaiah, starting around verse uh, chapter 40, it talks about the servant of the Lord. So I think a lot of times the servant of the Lord is, again, it's a position of authority. So Early on, Simon Peter is saying, "Here's I'm Simon Peter, here's who I am, please give me your attention. Please take what I'm saying um, seriously. As we go into the letter, we'll see that he is humble, and there's some very precious and profound ways that he demonstrates his humility. But I think early on he's saying, look, you know, pay attention. Uh, I have something I want to share with you. So he's the great messenger of this letter. So let's move on to talking about the great faith uh, that's represented in Second Peter. And you can take a look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Um, now that Peter has identified himself and established his authority, he identifies those for whom the message is given. And he says, to those who... Uh, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Now, this statement's pretty brief, seems pretty straightforward, but, but this is part of where I got stuck. You know, it just seems so jam-packed with wonderful truth about the, our faith and the, and the object of our faith and, and so forth. So... Um, Let's take a few minutes and look at this. Um, so, again, the readers, uh, those that, that Simon Peter is writing to the letter are not identified by geography. Could have been uh, and probably were Gentile believers just by the nature of the letter and the way that it's written. But imagine the encouragement. You know, you're a believer somewhere in modern, what is now modern-day Turkey, and the great apostle is saying, hey, your faith, uh, you've received a, a faith as precious as ours. Now, it's easy for us to probably just blow right past that, but I think that would have been of a great encouragement to the readers of this letter. 
that, that Simon Peter is saying, my faith is precious. My faith is as precious as yours. Um, equally precious, equally valuable. I have equal standing before God. What a great encouragement for these believers, probably Gentile believers. And, you know, when I first saw this, it seemed a little odd because I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. Isn't Paul sort of the, the apostle to the Gentiles? This seemed like if somebody's going to offer encouragement to Gentile believers about how precious their faith are, it just seemed initially like, wow, that, that would have happened in one of the writings of Paul. But um, the more I thought about it, it was like, oh, wait a minute. Um, the Lord used Peter mightily in the first days of the church um, as the gospel was really bringing down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Um, when Philip proclaimed the Messiah in Samaria, remember that? Who were the people that were sent to Samaria to lay hands on the believers and really affirm what God was doing there? Uh, one of those was uh, Peter. You can read about that in Acts 8. It was Peter who heard the Lord in the midst of a vision. Remember the vision? He's sitting on the roof, uh, and he begins to have uh, a vision. He sees the sheet let down from heaven, and there's all these uh, four-footed creatures, and, and he hears a voice, rise and eat. And he's like, Lord, no, come on. I would never eat anything unclean. And the Lord says, hey, don't call what I've made clean unclean. So that's Peter. And, and, and because of that, Peter went to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile Roman soldier, and he preaches the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel, uh, he's interrupted. Doesn't even get to his, uh, you know, his summary statement or he doesn't, you know, give the altar call. It's just, you know, in the midst of the sermon, tongues are breaking out. People are praising God. The Holy Spirit falls in the midst of that Gentile household. So Peter's right there in the midst of that. God's using him. So I'm like, okay, now I can see why this would be something on the heart of Peter towards these believers. Now, don't get me wrong. Peter's record for champion, uh, being a champion of Gentile believers or Christian faith in Gentile believers uh, is not spotless, not by a long shot. Um, despite you know the pioneering work he's doing in Samaria and the house of Cornelius and in all these places, Peter could forget that the faith of a non-Jew was equal and precious uh, just as a Jewish believer. In effect, he could kind of go back to calling people unclean that the Lord had called clean. Um, turn with me. Maybe you can hold your finger in Second um, Peter and look at Galatians chapter 2. <clears throat> this is kind of a, a famous result of Peter forgetting that the faith of the Gentile believers was precious. Galatians chapter 2. Starting in uh, verse 11. It says, when Cephas, or Cephas, this is uh, Paul writing, and Cephas is a Aramaic form of Peter. Peter is rendered in the Greek. When he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Uh, and he goes on just to lay in to Peter in front of the other believers. Because um, Peter, although he championed the gospel coming to Gentiles, he gave in to peer pressure. And he gets called on the carpet. So Peter could forget things that he knew were true. He needed to be reminded of the truth. And <clears throat> we can be like that, can't we? I mean, I like to think, you know, once, I'm, once I've been taught something, 
hey, I'm locked in. But I need to hear things again and again. I need to be reminded. So much, I think, of our, I think my experience of the faith is not learning new information, but it's being reminded of information that I know and I've forgotten or I've lost sight of. So such is this letter here. Um, Anyway, our faith and your faith is as precious as Peter's, which is pretty amazing. Peter, who walked with Jesus, who witnessed his miracles and his healings, saw his mountaintop transformation, saw his resurrection with his his resurrection body with his own eyes. Obviously, his his faith is precious and valuable. Ours is just as precious, although we haven't seen him physically. We've received this faith as a gift. Um, and it's only through the righteousness of Jesus. Um, in Second Peter, it talks about the righteousness of God. And typically, I think when you hear about the righteousness of God, you're, you're talking about our legal standing before God. And I think, obviously, there's an aspect of that here. But it can also have a nuance of fairness. And I think we'll see that, that Peter uh, is talking about kind of the fairness of God. He's, he's, he's treating Gentiles and, and uh, <clears throat> Jewish believers alike. There's a fairness, a justice um, in the way that God treats us. So, again, your faith is as precious as Peter's. So there's no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. I think we need to be reminded of that, not pass too far. I think there are times where maybe you feel like people get a different brand of faith in you. You think, <clears throat> certainly Darren and Jerry, they, they got like the upgrade. You know, they've got, they got more bandwidth or uh, they got the bonus faith. And, and it, you know, they, they've... Certainly, Darren's got a leg up on me somehow. I mean, that's got to be that's got to be what's going on. He's got an advantage. But I'll tell you that notion, as common and as enticing as it is, does not appear in Scripture. That notion is not true, and it's certainly not communicated in Second Peter. So, uh, it's important to realize today that your faith is as precious as anybody's, even even Todd's. I know that's pretty amazing. So, um, does it seem precious? Uh, Precious is a word that's kind of maligned in our culture because usually when you think about precious, you're thinking of what? Uh, Gollum, yeah, my precious. (laughs) So you're thinking of the ring, you know. So it's kind of like, uh, maybe I need to use another word, valuable or whatever. Uh, In Matthew 13, it talks about the kingdom of heaven as a treasure. So again, I think it's good for us to to think is is my my faith is precious. It's as precious as as anyone's, but do I see it that way? Is it precious to me? Is it valuable? Um, our faith is precious. So let's move on. We talked about uh kind of our great what was the last one? Great faith. We'll talk about a great savior. So for us to have a great salvation, we need to have a great Savior. And uh, again, in Second Peter, uh, there's some amazing truth about our Savior. Communicated very simply. And it's easy, again, to blow right past it. But let's go back to Second Peter 1. So the first verse says that we've received a precious faith. How did we receive it? Through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now here, Peter is boldly proclaiming the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, He's not talking about the righteousness of God our Father, stop, and the righteousness of our Savior Jesus Christ. He's saying both. He's talking about the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's a sweet uh, revelation and reminder of the deity of Christ. And, And Peter hammers away at this over and over again. My commentator My, Michael Green talked about the fact that Savior is one of the great names of God in the Old Testament. Peter is taking that Old Testament name and applying it to Jesus. 
And just so you know, um, and, and Savior to us is a pretty common way. You know, you think, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? I mean, Savior is a, we're very common with that. But Second um, Peter is actually, actually one-third of the times that the word Savior is applied to Jesus happen in this short letter. So uh, we don't want to miss the fact that uh, Peter is focusing attention on Jesus as God, as the Savior. Um, we'll skip over... Um, there are other places, and I think I referenced the scriptures. You can go back there in Second Peter two twenty, Second Peter three two, Second Peter three eighteen. All mentions of Peter talking about Jesus as Lord and Savior. So let's move on to verse two. <clears throat> Peter follows uh, <clears throat> what we just read with a greeting, and there's a blessing. There's a prayer. <clears throat> Verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, a fairly common blessing. You know, you, you read through the, the letters of Paul and, and there's grace and peace to you, grace and peace. And <clears throat> I think the tendency sometimes is to see it. It's kind of like that, you know, it's just auto-populated in, in Peter's, you know, word doc. It's kind of like when we say, you know, Dear Larry or, or dear Reggie. I mean, although those guys are dear to me, I, I don't know. <clears throat> Typically when you stop and get the letter and somebody says, you know, dear Reggie. I, I don't know. Reggie's like, hey, Gail, look. They, they, I'm dear. I'm dear to uh, Tony. Tony thinks I'm dear. But I don't think we want to blow past this because I think this greeting uh, says a lot about the heart of Peter towards these people. Again, because it's common, don't don't just think it's uh, there's no big deal. I, just, I need to get to the important stuff. Yeah, the grace and peace stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I need to get to the important. No, this is a, a, a prayer of Peter. Peter actually returns to at the end of the letter. So in a sense, he bookends the beginning of the letter and the end of the letter with this prayer. I want grace and peace. Uh, that's my prayer for you. Uh, that's my desire for you. Grace in abundance, lavish grace. Um, it's really at the heart of what uh, Peter wants. So um, we talked about that. Knowledge is also a word that appears fresh, uh, frequently in Second Peter. So in, referring back to where we are there in uh, verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance. How? Through the knowledge of God. And of Jesus our Lord. Knowledge is a word that comes up again and again and again. So if you're, if you're studying this later and you're looking for key words that maybe, uh, give you clues as to what Peter's after, the word knowledge appears again and again and again. And the culture of the people that he's writing to, they loved knowledge. They talked about knowledge a lot. It was very <clears throat> prevalent in that Hellenistic culture to talk about knowledge and its importance. And it's interesting, a lot of ways, Peter, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but Peter uses the language of the culture that he's speaking to to communicate the truth of God's word. He uses some phrases and some words that other Bible writers don't necessarily use, but he's not changing changing the truth to speak to different people. He's just using the language of that culture to communicate truth that doesn't change, that, that is set and established and firm. So uh, grace and peace are ours in abundance. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> there was a false teaching that was beginning to, to brew, beginning to uh, have some prevalence that... Um, Talked about knowledge, uh, kind of giving people a sense, well, you can, you can know God, but you can live in a moral lifestyle. Eh, it's okay. You know, if you get the knowledge, that's all that matters. You're, you're gonna, you live however you're gonna live, but if you got the knowledge, you're, you're good. They, they, in that culture, they're, they're saying that they're okay with a disconnect between what you believe and how you live. Peter says, no, that, that doesn't work. You know, uh, you don't, have doctrine or ethics. <clears throat> you don't have knowledge or life. 
they're connected, and they're connected in a vital way. So the knowledge of God, uh, we'll talk about that more. It's more than just facts. Uh, it, it certainly involves the mind. When we talk about the knowledge of God, we're not, we are talking about how we think about God and, and how we uh, meditate on the scriptures, how we see what is revealed about God in scriptures and we think about it and we meditate on it and we cherish it. So, so there is the mental aspect to knowledge and that's vital. Um, but there's also a sense of, of the word knowledge used here that is talking about, you know, when we talk about a man knowing a woman, you know, that sort of an old, I don't know, King James version of, of the Bible's talk about when the man knew the woman, and it means there was an intimacy, there was a relationship, there was a, a closeness. Um, and that should be an aspect of our knowledge of God, that we have an intimate knowledge, that we have a, a connection with uh, Jesus that uh, we experience, it changes us. Uh, very vital, very important. Let's talk about our great provision. Let's go down to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. <clears throat> Second Peter 1, 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Again, power packed with truth. Uh, because Jesus is God, he has power. He has divine power. And that power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You know, in some ways, if you ask people, you know, what's a, a passage they remember from second peter this probably would be it you know i've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness or everything i need for a godly life so think about it and i think the tense of this is important we have been given everything that pertains to a godly life it's not that god will give us everything in the future it's not that he might give us everything uh, based on some circumstances or, or some certain uh, preconditions being met, he has given us everything. It's a done deal. It's an established biblical fact. So that should be an encouragement to us. We're not lacking anything that pertains to how we can follow Jesus, the, living a godly life. We're not lacking anything. In spite of how we might feel sometimes, in spite of what evidence might speak to the contrary, <laughs> you know, some of us might say, well, I don't know, you know, as I evaluate Sean, I, you know, he seems to be missing a few, no, not really, not, um, <clears throat> we've been given everything, Sean's been given everything, um, that should encourage us. And there's times where we need to remind ourselves, don't we? When we fail, when we sin, where we lose heart, we need to be reminded, oh, I've been given everything. Yeah. Not everything for, you know, the luxury life. Sometimes we think, well, I don't have everything I want for life. You know, I don't have that car or, you know, I don't have the, the kind of job or that particular live in that kind of neighborhood. Well, that's not one of the promises <laughs> that we've been given. But we have been promised, we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. God's not holding out on you at all. You've got everything. Uh, there's no shortfall. There's no lack in provision. So that's encouraging, but it's also, in a sense, humbling. Because it, it's not that uh, you generated everything for yourself. Or somehow you collected everything. You pulled everything together. Everything that pertains to life and godliness has to be imported into our life. We receive it from outside of ourselves. We receive it from God as a gift. So while we want to celebrate and be encouraged and, and be on fire with a sense that I've been given everything, we also need to realize I've been given everything by God through my knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you for your rich provision. 
for lavishing your provision and your resources and your grace on my life. You've been given everything. Um, So everything comes by way of our knowledge of Jesus. Knowledge already. Second time in two verses, knowledge is appearing again. Must be important. Our knowledge of Jesus Christ is, is the avenue by which everything comes to us. Um, I don't think knowledge of Jesus is solely when we learn of him and our initial salvation. That's important. None of the rest of this happens without that initial awareness, that initial sense of who Jesus is. But our knowledge of God can grow. Our knowledge of of God can deepen. Um, Let's look at, uh, hold your finger in 2 Peter, but turn to Philippians chapter 3. Our knowledge of Jesus uh, can grow and deepen. <clears throat> In Philippians, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter three, we hear the heart of the apostle Paul. <clears throat> he had a knowledge of Jesus, probably, <laughs> definitely. Here's what he says: Philippians three, starting in uh, I think it's verse ten. I want to know Christ. I want to have knowledge of Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul wants to know Christ. And you hear there's a hunger there. There's a desire. He wants to know Christ. And I think there's times, and we maybe if we don't have that appetite, we'd say, God, help me. Lord, I, I want to have that appetite for you. I want to know Christ. I want that knowledge to be growing and deepening and having more impact and, and having more sway in my life, that knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's really a, the, the cry for more, for more of God. And I know... It's probably not politically correct for Christians to say you're haunted by something. You know, we think of haunting. But, you know, for me, that's that desire for more is something that seems to hound me a lot. Just by the grace of God, there's a sense of, I want more of God. I'm grateful for what I have, but I, I have this sense that there's more. And that's one of the reasons I love the church, is I can see more. I can learn more about God as I interact with people. When I hear about what he's doing in your lives, when I, when I, when I receive truth, I, I, I grow in my knowledge of God and I get that sense of more. I love that more. <laughs> Amen. So we've gone from the great provision. We've been given everything. So the great doesn't stop. Let's move on to the great promises. Second Peter chapter one, starting in verse four. <clears throat> I don't have that here, so somebody read that. Somebody have that? Let me read that out loud. Um, I'll pick a volunteer. Uh, Paulette, do you have that? No? Are you volunteer? Okay, awesome. By these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Mm. Man, that's you could you meditate on that a little bit, can't you? Chew on that for a while. So we've been given promises, great and precious promises. And again, our, our culture, Christian culture, sometimes you think you talk about precious promises. What do you think about? You kind of think about those little cheesy, like the precious promises people, you know, like the little figurine. I, I'm probably offending somebody's got to collect. <laughs> I mean, those really nice, those really nice collectible things. No, but it, you know, it doesn't stop with the nice collectible things. There's, there are precious promises and precious is a little, sounds a little, little doilyish, you know, a little dainty, but I think the promises of God, they're, they're amazing. <laughs> they're life 
changing. They're, uh, they're glorious. Uh, what was the word that uh, Paul read something about? What, what was it? Magnificent. God has given us magnificent promises. Now, what those promises are is not, is not spelled out right here. Uh, Peter is kind of teasing you a little bit, I think. Uh, because the scripture is loaded with things that God has promised us. He's probably thinking back to Old Testament promises. And there are things where God is speaking prophetically to his people about what he's going to provide and how he's going to work and what he's going to do in their life. He, he makes promises. I'm going to do this. I will do that. And uh, I'll tell you, those promises were precious to the nation of Israel, especially when times were were bad, you know, times where they're they're being run over, they're being exiled, they're they're being defeated by armies. They needed those promises. Those promises were things that they could set before their eyes and say, you know, in spite of what I'm going through right now, God has promised something different. God has promised something better. And I want to keep those promises ever before me. I tell you so much of our life, uh, we need to be aware of the promises of God. Because in this life, I mean, the Bible said, one of our promises that maybe doesn't seem so precious is, you know, we will experience difficulty. We will be hated at times. We will suffer. But there are promises of how God will deliver, how God will provide, how God will be with us. Um, these Old Testament prom- promises that are yes and amen in who? Jesus Christ. All the promises of God <clears throat> are reach their fulfillment and are rendered to us through Jesus Christ. So he comes with our salvation, with our forgiveness. Uh, we have God with us through Jesus Christ. And he brings along a whole host of promises that have been made prophetically over hundreds and thousands of years to the people of God. They just come in like a flood. The promises of God. So, you know, just a few of them. I think I, I mentioned maybe a few. I, I encourage you, dig them out. Look for them. Uh, in Leviticus 26, he promises to be our God. In Deuteronomy 31, he promises his presence. You know, and we can take that for granted because we have the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit. But the, but the reality of having God present with you, that was just, you know, when the Jews, when the Old Testament, they're like, God with us? You know, they'd just be shaking with a sense of anticipation. God with us. The Lord who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He won't fail or forsake you. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. Isaiah 41, God promises strength and support. Do not fear, for I am with you. Don't anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So God has given us great and precious promises in Jesus Christ. So, running out of time, but let's... uh, just run through this very quickly. Encourage you, if I don't, don't touch on all this, read it on your, read it for yourself. But uh, there's a great privilege. In, if you read uh, verse four, it says, "Through these, He's given us great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires." So again, think about that. I, I can participate in the divine nature. <laughs> I can escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. This this is good stuff. <laughs> this is rich. This is glorious. Um, I'll try to cut to the chase here a little bit. Divine divine nature. And again, it, it sounds pretty glorious, but you think, well, what what does that mean exactly? But 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 um, divine of God, we can participate in God's nature. Oops. 
I've knocked off my thingy. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Um, <clears throat> so um, we can participate in the in the divine nature. Um, you could think about, well, does that mean if I participate in God's nature, does that mean I can be omniscient or omnipresent or, you know? Uh, no, it doesn't mean that. Um, but there are attributes of God's that we can participate in. We can enter in, we can walk in. And actually, we'll get to that next time where we talk about some of the attributes of God that we're called to walk in and participate in. I'll let you look at this one just as an example, but in Philippians chapter 3. We already read this. Um, Paul's saying, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul's talking about participating in the divine nature. Um, the power of his resurrection, the Holy Spirit participating in his suffering, we can participate in the divine nature. That's an aspect of it. Um, you know, you probably like omniscience or omnipresence, but you think about our Savior and how he lived, his nature. He came to suffer and die. We're called to take up our cross and follow him, to participate in his nature. Uh, I'll let you... Read those uh, comments from Douglas Moo and, and Michael Green. By the way, um, I, I just want to give the disclaimer. Um, I tried to cite people that I'm quoting from, but to a degree, if there was something that made sense or seemed profound, I probably read it somewhere. <laughs> uh, if there was something that was weird or made you feel uncomfortable, I probably, that was probably me. Um, but but take a look at these um, these comments. It talks about um, participating in the divine nature, and I just like to summarize um, some of the things we've talked about, just by way of reminder, just pulling it all together. We have a great faith in a great Savior. He has given us everything we need to live a godly life, to participate in his nature. And with these great promises ever before our eyes, we can resist the allure of sin. We can walk in his ways, and we can escape the corruption of this world. Amen.